Welcome to Behind the Red Circle, where we take a deeper dive into the ideas shared on the TEDx Naperville stage. I'm your curator and host, Arthur Zards. So I'm here to talk to you about education. Uh, for the past 14 years, that's, that's what I've done. That's what I, I live and breathe. My wife's a teacher. I've got a sister-in-law that's in education. It's just who I am. Uh, so our dinner parties are, are a lot of fun. Um, and, and education is one of those things that everybody has an opinion on, because we all have gone through it. We've all been in school. So therefore, we're all experts on it. And there's a, a narrative right now that education is broken. Whether we're talking about public education, private education, there's a narrative in our country that it is broken. And, and I have to think, well, why do people think it's broken? And oftentimes, they cite studies and test scores. There's international communities that put out things. There's a PISA report, which is just one of the 40,000 acronyms that educators like to use that nobody understands, including us. And the United States is not near the top of those rankings. And people start freaking out. We need to catch up to China. We need to be up there with the Finns, with our reading and our math scores. And that's the narrative that we are constantly bombarded with. Our kids can't cut it internationally. And so we want to come up with a solution. Of course, we see a problem, we want to come up with a solution. So what are some of those solutions? Well, currently, the narrative in public education is the solution to this is to increase standardization, to increase accountability measures. That if we just hold teachers accountable, well, then our kids are going to be better. If we just standardize and take things to scale, well, then we're going to compete with these, these Finns and the Chinese. And that's all well and good. But what's interesting is none of that's really worked out because we have this push with Common Core. Perhaps you've heard of it. And you giggle, but I live it. So Common Core has been this, one of these initiatives. And, and the heart of, of Common Core is this phrase that we hear at nauseum within the education world, which is we want all kids to be college and career ready. Now, as we stand back as a parent myself, I think, well, yeah, this makes sense. I want my kids held to a high standard. I want my, my sons to graduate and go on to college or a career but I'm going to break something to you. We actually don't mean college and career ready. We actually mean college ready because we obsess over scores. We shut down vocational programs. Enrichment programs are reduced because we're constantly consumed with increasing our math and our reading scores. And what's very interesting about this is this whole notion of college and career ready. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to sit in a room um, with an organization that's known as the Business Council. And if you're not familiar, this is a group of people, all CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. People, everybody in that room, made more in a day than I will likely make in a career as a public school teacher. And they were having conversations about what kind of employees are they looking for? What kind of worker are they looking for? And I'm sitting at a table with, at the time, the head of the New York public school systems, 
who John King, Secretary King is now the Secretary of Education of the Department of Education. He's like the boss of my boss's boss's bosses all the way up to Washington, D.C. And at the current CEO of Chicago Public Schools and me. And I was kind of sitting there going, one of these doesn't belong. But we were having conversations with these, these CEOs, Dow, Dow Chemical, Amazon, Michael Dell. And you know what? They didn't say they're looking for kids that are really good on ACT. They're not looking for compliant little people that are very standardized. None of them said that. But what they did say is, we want kids that come out of high school and college that can be creative, that can be innovative and collaborative and can fail and rebound from that and cause our companies and our industries to evolve and change. Which flies in the face of everything that these policymakers are saying with education is going to fix us. Giving another standardized test to a child is not going to revolutionize any industry in this country or this world. And yet, that's where we are going. I even have friends who have gone to Finland and China, these quote-unquote top-tier school systems. And you know what some of them are telling? They want their schools to be more creative and innovative and less standardized and less test-focused. So clearly there's a disconnect here. And so what is the solution? Well, I will tell you one thing that I believe firmly. A solution will never come from the top. I have yet to see a superintendent of schools from a state or the country or even a superintendent of a school district come up with a solution that has had the same lasting impact on the solution that's come from a classroom, from a kid or from a classroom teacher. And that is where I believe we can change the narrative of what's going on in our schools and tell people, you know what? We're not broken. And so I want to share with you something that we did in our school, Lincoln Junior High, just down the road. Exactly. <laughs> About five or six years ago, we had a faculty meeting and we watched a TED Talk from Dan Pink. Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive. And his book is all about motivation. How do we motivate people? Now, his book was clearly written for business people. And he describes motivating humans. And even though in the junior high world, sometimes our kids don't act very human-like, we still assume that we put them in that same broader category of human. Therefore, the motivational principles he's talking about should apply to our students. And the thing he discusses is he says, you know, a lot of times people think if we just pay people more, they're going to produce more, work better, harder, all of those things. But actually, the research says that's not true at all. If you're asking people to do very menial tasks, low cognitive tasks, incentives might work. Compliant tasks, incentives might work. But if you're asking people to be truly creative, innovative, and productive, incentives actually have a negative impact. And so, well, then what is going to motivate people? What is going to motivate? And he said it really comes down to autonomy and choice. Providing employees the ability to be autonomous in their work and choose what they work on. And so we had this conversation in our building, and a great colleague of mine, Matt Langis, he came up with the idea of Innovation Day, which I then took and expanded it to our entire grade level of sixth grade. And Innovation Day was pretty, pretty radical. We basically told kids, junior high kids, all right, guys, a couple weeks from now, we're going to have this, this day. You're going to be able to learn about anything you want. Now, in the junior high brain, that takes a minute to process. They kind of stare at us awkwardly like, Wait a minute, what? Anything? Anything. We gave them three requirements. You must learn something, you must create something, 
and you must share something. And that was it. It was built on their passion, what they were interested in. And so I wanna share with you some of the things that came out of this over the years. We've, doing that, we're, we're, we've done this for six years. In year seven, we're going to expand it. So I always love the one, the, the gentleman on the left here, the young man, who, now the kids have to submit a proposal to the teachers and we have to approve them because you know, we do have rules and safety. And this young man put together a proposal to build a, a Tesla coil. Now, for those of you that know what a Tesla coil is, there is no way I should have ever approved that project. Because one of the glaring things on his project proposal was he was gonna bring a soldering iron from home. That should have been my red flag, but we went with it anyway. And he may or may not have electrocuted himself, but to me, that was success. It worked, okay? Or the other young man, one of the other byproducts of this type of day is the sharing component. We attached it to our open house so that parents, grandparents, community can come and see what these kids spent an entire day creating. And the young man on the bottom right, he created what is known as elephant toothpaste. I had no idea what that was. It's a series of chemicals that are mixed and it causes an endothermic reaction. It makes foam. And you think to yourself, well, that's kind of silly. But when that boy, who's typically not the focus of any sort of positive attention in a classroom, is sitting there at an open house and having 30 people watch him describe what he did and the joy and pride on his face, that's why I do what I do. Or the girl up on the right, as teachers, every so often you get a kid, and by about October you think, I think this child is smarter than me. <laughs> and I've got the next six months to try to trick him that it's the other I am. And this young lady designed a project, and I was watching her set it up because I honestly hadn't read her proposal. I wasn't sure what she was doing. She had two liter bottles. She cut them, cut the ends out, kind of cored them, put them together. She had all these little cars that she had created and made, had a scale and a blow dryer. And I have no idea what she was doing. So I asked her, I said, what are you doing? She was, I made a wind tunnel. And I have a little string that I'm attaching to each of these cars. I'm tying it to the scale and then I'm blowing wind across them and I'm seeing how much drag each car is creating to discuss the principles of aerodynamics. And I kind of went, nice work, I'll see you later tonight. I got nothing to tell you. I mean, what can I do? And now some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, is this another one of those STEM things? Is that, you know, we're filling out buzzword bingo, STEM, there, top right. It's not. Because I could have also put a picture of the very first year when I had the young man who was learning how to play the guitar. And so he spent his entire day composing a solo on his guitar. And at the end of the day, he put on his first concert for 300 people. That's not a bad first gig. It may have gone straight to his head, but that was okay because he was interested in it. Or the young lady who wanted to do interpretive dance and performed a ballet routine for us that she spent all day working on. And we have the sports enthusiasts who are creating how-to videos, how to do a slap shot, how to curve a ball on a corner kick into the net and documenting every aspect of it. We had the technology, kids composing music on iPads and Chromebooks, doing stop motion film, anything you could imagine we have seen over the past six days, six years. And it was phenomenal. And I always get pushed back and think, all right, this, this can't work. What are the barriers? Surely 300 junior high kids, they were probably wild animals all day. And the reality is they weren't. We never have behavior problems on this day. 
Why? Because kids are invested, because it's something they're interested in. And the sad reality of that is a lot of the projects that kids engage in are from topics that we would never actually address in our schools, which is a problem. The other barrier I get is, well, administrators never buy into this. It seems a little, a little sketchy. And it's not common core aligned. Are you grading it? And the answer is no, we never grade anything. We give them feedback. How can you grade a child's passion? And Common Core, I'm here to tell you, I can tie anything to Common Core. I could do it right now. <laughs> Tying your shoes, I could do it, okay? It's research, it's analysis, we're good, move on, okay? So it can be done. And then I always get asked, okay, this sounds great, but what about the, the bigger picture? What's the lasting impact here that this has on kids and on teachers? And, and there is, because I have helped schools ac across the country and beyond create innovation days of themselves. It has really taken a hold. I had a school up in Canada that did an innovation week. Think about the genius and the creation if you gave kids a week. I have seen it from all the way from six-year-olds in kindergarten all the way to seniors in high school perform these days. It has expanded because what it forces people to start thinking about, because we can't have just kids say, hey, you can be innovative next Thursday. That's innovation day, but go back to being not innovative on Friday and the rest of the year. That's counterintuitive. So it started shifting pedagogy which is the way we think about how we teach and saying, you know what, maybe we need to infuse more choice and more autonomy in what our kids do every day. Instead of telling them exactly what to learn, when to learn and how to learn it, because that's not how humans learn, all right? And as a side note, I always found it funny when Dan Pink himself, who really started this notion for us, calls me and says, hey, do you mind talking to my son's principal to get an innovation day going? I said, I would be happy to. <laughs> I had a, a student many, many years ago and I recently caught up with her parents and I said, hey, am I full of it? All the stuff I did when your daughter was with me in sixth grade, did it, did it do anything? You know, innovation day, this autonomous learning. And they were very clear, mom and dad saying, yeah, because it gave their child confidence that they could try things, that they could work independently, that their learning didn't have to be restricted to what was on a curriculum map or on the board for the daily objectives, that they could learn because that's what this is all, that's what this is all about, okay? And so people ask me, well, how can I do this? And then I shamelessly plug my website and say, go to my website because I have a toolkit there that you can. Because this isn't just restricted to education. There are companies like Google and FedEx that do this with their employees. They give their employees time to say, be creative, be innovative. And when companies do this, the research shows, and Dan Pink will mention this, that the most productive, innovative, creative changes and improvements for companies are actually coming out of this time. There's, there's something there, and it's something really, really valuable. And when I boil it all down, is why I do this, it's for the kids. Because if you've ever talked to a young child, they love learning. But we've lost focus of learning in trying to educate children, because there's a difference. We become very good at educating kids, but we have killed the love of learning. My sons, to a point of annoyance, were always asking questions when they were this tall. You know these children. Dad, why does that happen? What is that? When are we, and it's constant questions because they thirst for learning. But when they get to school, we replace those passions and those curiosities with, this is what you must learn. This is how you must learn it. And this is when you are going to learn it. So things like Innovation Day and things like giving kids agency over their learning and autonomy is how we can fix this supposed 
broken education system, but the reality is it's not broken because things like this exist and we have kids being brought back to learning should be joyous, learning should be built around creativity and innovation because that is truly creating students that are ready for the world that they will be living in. So I thank you very much for your attention and your time today. That was a really cool talk. Uh, I, I love the concept of innovation days. And you've been doing, the, doing this for a number of years. Uh, what's, what's been the impact uh, with the school that you've been with? Um, you know, we've been doing it, we're trying to think of the year, I think 2011 or 2012. And I think the big impact is, you know, you talk about small impact and big impact. Small impact is that day. Uh, the kids just have so much fun doing it. Um, super engaged, super excited about the things they're doing. And the larger impact, I think we see kids that kind of find something they're interested in, which is big. Um, I think we see teachers engaging with kids in a little different way because they don't have control over the learning, so they're, they're kind of giving it to the kids. And mm -hmm. so that kind of looks at the way we do things in our classrooms differently. So um, yeah, I just love how it's opened some doors and it just lets you do things that you wouldn't normally do in a school where the teacher's in charge and kids are gonna learn what we tell them, how we tell them, and when we tell them. <laughs> and it's funny, you mentioned that you're giving away control to junior high kids, which is <laughs> which like is scary. worse than hurting cats. <laughs> yes. Any, any interesting insights you've seen of like any interesting ideas that have come out from junior high students? Um, every year there's something that you think, I, I would have never thought of that. You know, I still remember the one year we had this young lady who she had stolen her, her brother's Legos and she was making these little cars and she had these wind tunnels kind of set up and she was making cars, running her mom's hair dryer through the wind tunnel, measuring the drag on it because she wanted Wait, to look at aerodynamic principles. And, what? and I thought, you're 12 years old. I was probably still picking my nose at that point. Here you are talking about advanced aerodynamics. So, yeah, we just, every year, something you just think, man, we've seen it all, and then a kid comes up with something we've never seen before. <laughs> that, see, that's fascinating. Legos and wind tunnels. It's like, yeah. again, same she thing. She had a little scale. She was measuring how much drag based on the design of the car. I hope that inspires somebody watching this show to, yeah, to get never their know. Legos out in their hair dryer. You never know. <laughs> Now, your role, your role what's, what's specifically your role with the Innovation Day? So when it started, I was a sixth grade teacher, English mm -hmm. and history, and it was just an idea that um, actually a colleague of mine, Matt Langus, who started it with his team, then we kind of took it as a grade level team and made it you know, kind of a grade wide uh, thing. And then the last three years, I've changed my role. I've moved out of the classroom in a traditional sense, and I'm the learning commons director at Lincoln. Um, so I oversee the library, the makerspace, the woodshop, all that stuff. So I kind of facilitate and help assist, but the team kind runs it um, pretty much on their own now. I'm just just a resource for them. <laughs> I'll have to ask, since you kind of kick-started the whole Innovation Days mm -hmm. and now that you've passed it on to somebody else, I'm guessing you're doing some other interesting things in the LRC. <laughs> Can you tell me what you're yes. doing with that? Yes, so every day is, uh, every day is an adventure. Um, even today, we were, we were vinyl cutting, heat transfer vinyl, and making t-shirts. We were 3D printing hands to hold old newspaper racks for chess pieces, so it's like. This is a library, right? This is a library. It's not all about books anymore. And we check out books, and the crazy thing is, <laughs> we have, you know, in our library we have 3D printers, we have a vinyl cutter, we've got a CNC wood milling machine, we got a heat press, we have all this stuff. We lost 7,000 books out of our collection, and our circulation has actually gone up because we've created an environment where kids just want to be. And so when you come in to make a t-shirt with me, I can say, hey, we have a conversation about a book. Um, and so everybody thinks, oh, you do all these crazy things, you got drones flying, kids aren't reading anymore, we don't need books. And yet kids are actually reading more now because we've just created this environment where you just want to be. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know that. So you lost, you lost 7,000 books. So we went from a 16,000 title collection down to nine. And our circulation went up. Was there, was there 
blowback when that happened? Were people like, yeah, no. fun? No, you know, I had so much support from uh, Patrick Gaskin, my principal, and he just kind of said, Josh, I'm, I'm giving you the reins. Do what you want to do to make a space where kids want to be. And I said, okay, well, I need to free up some physical space to start. We, the district supported a giant renovation, um, and we, we put all the books on the walls, on our shelves, cleared up all the space in the middle. I mean, you've come in a library today, you come in next week, it's going to look different because we're always moving stuff around. Um, and kids just want to be there, and it's just... It's a great place to be. <laughs> Man, it's, it, you know, you always hear about Naperville with one of the top school systems. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know what that means. Oh, that means we just have good teachers, which is true. I think it's true. But good teachers produce great ideas. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear that it's not about books anymore. And it's about. It's, it's still about books because they'll still have value. And I still have tremendous mm -hmm. value in literacy. But not every kid, that's their thing. And that's, that's my thing, is finding a way to provide as many possible things for every kid. If you look at the Innovation Day, you have you know, 200 kids, you're going to have a variety of projects, a variety of interests. And so in our learning commons, I want to have as many things as I can so that every kid that walks in can find a book that they relate to mm -hmm. or an activity that they want to do. Because for some kids, school's not great. You know, they don't, they don't plug into the traditional school model like some kids do. And so I'm trying to create a space for a lot of those kids that school's not working. Well, they can be successful here. So it's just a place for everybody is what I'm trying to create. No, I, I love that. And do you have any good examples of students that might not fit the typical traditional study, read, go to oh, college? Yeah. We have a lot of them. <laughs> so uh, one kid in particular I think of, you know, doesn't like coming to school. Um, he even told me at the beginning of the year, the only reason I come to school is to come to the library. And he's not a reader. That's not why he's coming to the library. That, see, that's, that's, yeah. that, you can stop right there and just go, what? <laughs> and and he, he loves 3D printing. So he does digital fabrication. Um, and he'll make little models of his favorite thing to make is they're called Beyblades, which I had to look up because I wasn't sure. And they're those spinning top things. And I called it a top once. And he was very upset with me because that's, that's not it's what not those are called. <laughs> and so he comes in and designs these. And we 3D print them. And he just he's always in doing something, tinkering with something. And it, it, he'll verbalize it's his favorite place to be. And it has nothing to do with the books. See, I just find that so fascinating <laughs> because my age, traditionally, the library was only books, and yep. that was part of, the, part of the machine. And if you didn't like it, well, then you drop out and you're done. I mean, yeah. that's, that's it. And we're trying to push back on that because I think sometimes when we think about the experience of kids, especially around reading, it's in an English course, mm -hmm. and they're told what to read, the pace to read it, and what to dissect out of it, what theme to look for. Um, whereas in our space, in the library, I want every kid to just experience reading because they want to and find it, whether it's a graphic novel, whether it's a book in verse or prose, whether it's a classic, something that deals with some hot topic. It, it doesn't matter. I just want to find a book that connects to a kid. Because I always say that if, if you don't like reading, it's because you haven't found a good book. And I know that's an old cliche, but I, I, do, I believe that. <laughs> I, I think you're, you're proving that, that correct. Trying. <laughs> you mentioned before and in a conversation something about the battle bots. If you can... Yeah, so that was just... I... I I just get ideas, and my assistant I work with will tell you, I just, I kind of go down rabbit holes, and I see things, and I want to do it, and I had saw, I'd seen on, on Twitter a teacher who had used uh, Spheros. So Spheros is a robot. It's basically a ball. It's a robotic ball that you can code and program, and we have a handful of these at Lincoln, and I had seen a teacher that did a battle bots where essentially you, you take a, a solo cup, <laughs> put over the top of it, and they get to design all kind of armor to put on the side of it, <laughs> and then we set up a big arena in the library, and they battle, knocking their other, their opponents over, knocking them off the table and we get oh man all kinds of kids come in for it and we, we put on the, the wood cutter we wood cut plaques for the winners 
it, it's just a Wait, ton you of even, fun. You even use the, the library resources to make the plaques? Yes. So we have the kids design and we cut out wood plaques. We stain them up. They get these really nice, it's got the Sphero logo on it. It says BattleBot Champion. Um, we did the same thing. We had our arcade, which is another thing we do for competitions. And so anytime we can make something and give it to a kid so they can have it. Because something about holding you know, a product that they created, uh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> Man, sign me up, and this is like yeah. only, this is only for kids. <laughs> we have teachers that come down and hang out sometimes. When we had the arcade week, we had a lot of teachers coming in to uh, try to break the high scores on Galaga or Donkey Kong. And, and, and yeah, what is the what is the the deeper dive into the arcade week? Is so the the arcade was um, Raspberry Pi is a product. It's a mini computer that we were able to program with an operating system that could run. Um, retro arcade games. Really? And so we were able to find on Amazon buttons and joysticks and little bread boxes, which is the, where you're wired into. So we literally had cardboard boxes. The kids were cutting holes, putting in. The kids, are, they're, they're making kids this, were making, they're, they're kids completely made them. So we, they were wiring the joysticks and the buttons into cardboard boxes. And then we were plugging them into our screen TVs and they were playing Donkey Kong, Joust, Galaga in the library and now we've got a little more sophisticated we did 3d printing uh controllers as well as some so woodcut we're actually making 3d printed controllers so we have a 3d printed controller we even got light up led ones and uh and then the cardboard ones i tear apart every year because i want the next group of kids to make their own so they okay, kind of make so their you own create you destroy and you we create and destroy again. so they have to make them so i don't want any kid just to think they're coming in to play video games which is fine, but I want them to make something to get to that point, and they're pretty motivated to do that. <laughs> and, and this is the grade levels? Six, seventh, and eighth. And what age grade? Age so that's that? uh, 11 to 12 year olds, 13 to 14, depending on their birth. See, I find it fascinating because if somebody were to jump in on this conversation, and be like, oh, what kind of college is that? Is that an engineering yeah. <laughs> college? And this is. No, it's simple. There's so many you know, DIY stuff out there, whether it's the Instructables website or just YouTube alone. Um, there's so many things that we bring into the library that a kid just says, hey, can we do this? And I haven't the faintest idea how to do it. When we started 3D printing, I know how to turn it on and plug it in, and that was it. Wait, so time out, because when you're explaining this, I'm like, okay, you're like some super nope. genius. You actually know how to do all this stuff. I don't stuff. know how to do any of it. The woodcutter we got was a buddy I went to high school with. It's his company. He said, Josh, I see some of your makerspace on Instagram. I want to send you this, this CNC milling machine. I go, I don't have any idea. He goes, really? just take it. Within a week, I had a couple of eighth graders. We fired it up, and we were cutting stuff. And here we are. And we're gonna, we got a grant to get a laser cutter for next year. I don't have any idea how to use it. But between now and then, we're going to figure out how to use it. It, it. it sounds like you're kind of doing the opposite of structured structured learning. It's yeah. like you got to learn this, you got to do this, do this, versus, hey, what are you interested in? Yep. And just, just do it. Is I would it, say is it that simple? It's, it's really that simple, but I have the luxury of doing that because I don't have a curriculum I have to follow. I don't have those standards that a lot of the classroom teachers have. Um, and so when a kid walks in, they're interested in something, I say, all right, let's run with it. Yeah, I love Let's this. It. This all comes from, from an innovation day where it's more like, yeah. hey, just create something and follow So for me, innovation day lives on every day because kids come in and just say, I'm interested in this. What can we do? And then if we don't have something, you know, again, the support of my district as well as the NEF we've gotten grants from, we just we find a way to make it happen. Since you've been doing the innovation day in the cellar, see stuff for a while. Do you have any stories of any student that's come back from years later of like what they're doing now from like maybe the first? You know, it's days? funny you say that because I was just meeting with a student. She visited um, 
gosh, right before the winter break this year. And so we were just kind of reminiscing about, she was one of my first groups. We had a computer club back then. There was probably eight or nine kids in it. And, um, and they were talking, I was asking like, oh, where's so-and-so now? What's so-and-so doing? And one of the kids who had done something, you know, a science type of project during Innovation Day, she's now interning with NASA for aero design. And I just kind of went. Interning with NASA? All right, so clearly something's working out. You know, and I've wow. talked to parents and said, you know, are we full of it? Like, is this all just fluff and just right. kind of a waste of time? And, uh, and I, was having, I was having a beer with one of the dads not so long ago, and he said, you know what? I don't think you are, because for our daughter, he said, you know, it opened up to her that, that learning can be what she's interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about toddlers. You don't need to tell them to learn. They're constantly learning and trying to make sense of the world around us, around them. And yet when they get to school, we kind of structure it. Whereas I think when they get to junior high, if we can unstructure a little bit and bring it back to that, you know, inquisitive mind of the three-year-old, then we're doing something right. I know you have a book coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us, brief, we have only have like 30 seconds or so, but yeah. what, tell me about the book. So um, I want to do something different. I know that may shock you. So I actually <laughs> have, it's called Drawn to Teach. Mm -hmm. um, and I partnered with my neighbor from when I was five. And he's an artist. And we made a graphic novel for teachers. So it's a hybrid education book graphic novel where it takes you through scenarios that teachers face and they totally screw up. They totally fail. And then we talk you through how, how you can fix that, how you can be better, how you can improve. I'd love to have another show about you and talking about <laughs> fear and failure. And where does somebody, if somebody wants to do an innovation day mm -hmm. for their school, or I guess for companies too, or yeah. anybody, where would they go to get So my website, Josh Stumpenhorst, which is very unique, uh, joshstumpenhorst.com. I have an innovation day toolkit on there and also plenty of ways to contact me because I'm always willing to help uh, schools or organizations that want to get started with this kind of thinking about their people. Thank you so much for being part of this, yeah. the show. Thank you so much for sharing your talk. And I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, so can I. Appreciate being yeah, here. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.